Howdy, folks. Today, we're going to be talking about a statement in Colossians 3.23. And the idea of our podcast is going to surround putting forth your best effort. Now, I am not in any way suggesting that God is pleased with failure as long as you try your best. I know there are a lot of people out there that will tell you that, a lot of people out there that will emphasize just putting your best foot forward, and that's all God expects out of you. That person, those people, those churches are lying to you. God is not pleased with failure as long as you try your best. And that's not the direction that we're going in this podcast. It is a podcast that is to push you to make sure that you're trying, that you're putting forth your effort. Again, not inferring, don't infer from my statements that God's going to be okay with your failures. But you're not going to succeed if you don't put forth effort. And if you don't put forth effort deep from within, you know, it is very easy in the world that we live in today to become a lazy person. Now, hey, hear me again. Let me be clear. What I'm about to say, I'm not condemning a lot of the things that we have in life that make things easier for us, but we do have a lot of things in life that make things easy. The transportation that we have that allows us to get from point A to point B to point C a lot faster than foot or horse or, or going and being pulled by donkeys or whatever it is, uh, the ships that, that, that used to exist you know, thousands of years ago, upgraded. Now we have flights. We can take places, get from point A to point B to point C very, very, very quickly. We have things in our homes or available to us in a lot of places that are automated, washing machines and dryers and dishwashers, and all sorts of different types of things, different technologies that make life easier. But don't allow that, I've got these devices that make life easier, to get you to be a lazy person. Take advantage of the areas of life that are made easier so that you have more time and effort to put forth in other areas of life, right? You know, when we look at the Bible, a lazy person is full of excuses. They're looking to do nothing. In Proverbs chapter 26, 13 through 16, it says, the slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Full of excuses, wants to stay in bed, hides his hands from labor. People that are sluggards. They don't want to listen. They think they're wise, unreasonable. Whatever it is you say to them, like all other manners of sin that people are wrapped up in, they're not going to listen. When you think about the sluggard, and you know it just means a, a sluggish, lazy person, wiser in his own conceit. It's like conceit there is I, you know, meaning vision, or so forth and so on. This person's not reasonable. That's what can happen to us when or if you become a lazy person. 
he refuses the labor even when it would be for his own well-being. In Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. Such people are to be looked at, to be examined, not to be followed, but to learn not to follow. In Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 through 34, Solomon writes, I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man." Go buy it. Look at it. Look, these people aren't going to do anything. Are you that person? That there is much that ought to be done that is actually leading towards ruin and you're just not going to do anything about it? Think about the spiritual point of that. You see your spiritual life is lacking, but you're lazy and don't do anything about it? You know, God expects his people not to be that type of individual. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience Inherit the promises. Be not slothful. Folks, that is not God's advice that you can just take or leave. That is the expectation if you want to be a child of the living God that you be not slothful, meaning sluggish, lazy, dull, etc. You're not going to be the person that does nothing you're going to be the person that is diligent. In fact, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, it says saints are to be fervent, which means earnest and zealous. The verse says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. What's your mindset? One of zeal or one of grab me a larger place to kick back and relax and do nothing, though there is something to be done. Before we proceed... I just, when we think about effort, and again, do not take what I'm about to say as though failure is acceptable to God. But there are times where we're going to attempt to do things and it's going to be impossible to do them. Now, this is not in regards to keeping of God's commandments. That's not impossible. But there are times where we might have the, a desire to do something, like Paul, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 18, and you see it in, in, when he writes the letter to Rome and Corinth similarly. He says, But we, brethren, be taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. Notice this mindset. Notice this mindset. Paul wants to get to the saints in Thessalonica. They're being hindered from doing so. But 
rather than quit, rather than say, I, I just can't make it, here's where effort comes in. They endeavored the more abundantly rather than be discouraged and say it's just never going to work. Because that's what people do very often. That just, they, they uh, make an attempt, they don't succeed. And, and for this reason, you know, Paul and, and those that labored with him often were persecuted, arrested, put in prison. I mean, he's on his way to, from point A to point B to point C, not by flight like, like we can today. And he's arrested along the way for preaching the gospel, for being a faithful minister of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he was headed towards this location. He didn't get there. He didn't just sit back and say, you know what? I might as well give up trying. You need to learn from that. We all do, right? We, we want to when we do not succeed at something that we're attempting to do, endeavor the more abundantly to do it. Now, this lesson, and again, do not infer from what I'm about to say that failure to complete God's will is acceptable. It's not. But there are things in life that regardless of your effort, success in that, and pleasing God isn't part of this, by the way, but success in that sometimes isn't in your control, like Paul trying to go to Thessalonica. Or take something, for example, when we look at marriage, right? Marriage is a, a two-party relationship. A person can be married and endeavor to keep that commitment the rest of their life, and their spouse may decide, I'm going to up and leave. Now, you do not have a right to remarry if that happens. You need to remain unmarried if that happens. But if your spouse ups and up, up and leaves, you're not in sin. You can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 15. You may put forth the greatest of effort, but they might leave anyway. So sometimes success is not within our control. And though effort will have something to do with it, sometimes the greatest of effort, like Paul going to Thessalonica or a faithful spouse trying to hold together a marriage, sometimes the greatest of effort is met with failure. In those times, we cannot get a mindset that we're just going to give up and quit and not do what God expects of us. We got to keep fighting. And again, don't take from that that failure to do God's will is acceptable. We're to be doers of the word, not hearers only, James 1 and verse 22. And, and what I'm talking about here is the effort behind success and the effort behind things that aren't up to us for success. Like I may get a call from one of my brethren today, uh, who knows what's going to happen with our weather. And this has happened in the past where they give me a call, you know, or something happens, they're stranded, maybe uh, inclement weather causes them to slide off the road. I might tell that brother or sister, I'm on my way to get you. And then I may slide off the road. Now I'm going to make every attempt to get up and out and to my brother or sister in Christ, 
I'm not just going to put my hands on the steering wheel and say, well, it's over, forget about them. I, I mean, me personally, if I can't be there, I'm going to call the tow truck myself and pay for it myself because I told them I was going to be there. Even though it's beyond my control, I'm going to make every effort to do what I told somebody that I'm going to do. If I'm going to help you, you're going to get my best effort every time, all the time, because that is a godly mindset. To be driven, to be a person that puts forth effort in every area of our life, to be hungry in such a way. Like, think about the, you know, applying the principle in Proverbs 16, 26. He that laboreth, laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth it of him. Am I hungry enough to go after this? Am I hungry enough to do this? You know, there's a great lesson in the book of Proverbs. Um, It's the lesson of go to the ant. In Proverbs chapter 6, 6 to 11, it says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long will thou sleep, O sluggard? When thou arise out of thy sleep, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. Have you ever watched ants? I mean, they are busy, just flying around. Right? It's one of the reasons that you hate them if they get in your house. Because they're not just going to get a little bit of water out of the sink and be content. No, they're going to they're going to leave that scent marker, and next thing you know, the whole ant army is going to be in your house and looking for anything that they can take uh, from you. It's insane how busy that they are. Well, folks, go to the ant. Why don't ants starve? Because they labor to feed themselves. They're fervent in what they do. What happens if they're hindered? They try to find another way. You find a a line of ants going to and from a place and you put some kind of barrier there. They find a way around it or over it or under it. They keep working, right? They keep trying to get around and keep trying to do something to succeed. Our Lord's instruction, go to the ant. I want to take you to Colossians chapter 3 from which our lesson is taken. I want to back up a little bit in the context, just so you can get a picture. I mean, you know, the the chapter starts off with seeking things which are above rather than setting your affections on the earth. And as Christians, how sin is to be left behind, to put on the new man, to behave as the new man, to let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to be thankful. Verse 16, beginning, says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing with grace in your hearts, Lord. And whatsoever, that key word right there, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Now here's the the verse 
from which our lesson is taken. So it's in this context, it's written to servants. It says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. The text goes on. Knowing that of the Lord, you shall re receive the reward and the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So when we look at that context, it goes into chapter 4 and verse 1, and we began at Colossians 3 and verse 16. The point in verse 23, excuse me, sorry there. The point in verse 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Whatsoever. What's that tell you? Whatsoever. Written to the servant there and just so that we have an understanding. We are all who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, we need to talk about that. You need to, you need to get a hold of me and we need to talk about how you can be, get into Christ and we can study that through and help you through the gospel become a follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be his servant, to be a child of the living God. But when we look at the word servant, you know, throughout the New Testament, the applications are broad, but definitely applies to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, when, when we look uh, at, at the scriptures, when we think about who we are and what we are and whose we are, 1 Corinthians 7, 22, he that is called in the Lord being a servant is Lord's free man. Likewise, also he is called being free is Christ's servant. 1 Corinthians 7, 23, the next verse, you're bought with a price, be not the servants of men. And on and on we could go. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul being your servants for Jesus' sake, we're Lord's servants, we serve one another. We could just go on and on and on. We're servants. Christians are servants. The Lord Jesus Christ is our master. Whatsoever we do, we need to do heartily. We need to put forth the utmost effort in pleasing him. And if you back up in that context, the re reason I was reading the context Whatsoever you do in word or deed, Colossians 3.17, right? Looking at that, hey, who am I? I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Who's my master? He is. Whatever I do in word or deed, verse 17, I need to do heartily, verse 23. When we look at the scriptures as a whole, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. If it's worth doing, folks, put forth your effort to do it, not half-heartedly. 
desire alone, you know, when you think about a, a, a lazy person, they may be hungry, but that hunger isn't going to drive them to succeed. If that person decides to be lazy, slack off and do nothing, they're just going to stay hungry, right? Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the slugger desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent should be made fat. So we're not talking about desire. We're talking about action. We're talking about putting forth the actionable effort, thinking that I need to succeed in this and not as though I'm going to put it off. You know, when we think about lazy people, lazy people always tend to, I'll get to that tomorrow. I'll get to that next week. I'll get to that next month. Do you have tomorrow, next week, next month? Proverbs 27.1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what the day may bring forth. We just talked about this principle down here in El Paso where uh, the many of the brethren uh, were studying Luke chapter 12 on Sunday afternoons uh, after the assembly. And uh, we're, we're talking about, hey, you know what? This rich fool, the parable that our Lord gave to... Uh, a brother who wanted his inheritance divided, uh, Luke chapter 12, 13 and following. Well, this this rich fool, he decided he was going to pull down his barns, Luke 12, 18, build greater, bestow all his fruits and his goods. And then in verse 19, that he was going to take his ease, eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> but God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul should be required of thee in verse 20, and, and put forth that question that people tend not to think about, then who shall those things be which thou hast not provided? And the ultimate point is, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When it comes to, to anything, we're to do it heartily. And the priority ought to be our souls. It ought to be, I want to make sure I'm prepared to meet the Lord. If tonight my soul is going to be required of me, I don't want to try to wait till tomorrow to put forth the effort that I need to do to be a doer of the word. We need to understand that even with a relationship with God, you know, seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. It's not like on your way to the physical grave, you can do a quick sidestep into Christ. If you didn't do it already, it's not going to happen. Think about what Jesus taught in the parable of, of the ten virgins. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, he said, The kingdom of heaven be like unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all rolled, all wrote, those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him, so the marriage and the door was shut. Afterwards came other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour 
wherein the Son of Man cometh. You hear that parable? Don't be lazy when it comes to anything, but especially your soul. Don't think, you know what, I'll get to this later. I'm just going to put it off one more day. Hey, time and chance happens to us all, Ecclesiastes 9-11. Any one of us could drop dead in the next moment, or the Lord could come at any moment, and you can't control either one of those facts. You probably have heard in the world, whether it be sports or, or workplace or other areas, where someone says something like, you know, he has heart, and they're talking about someone's effort. Listen, that's not a modern concept, and the world gets it, and it's a godly principle as well. And Psalm 119 and verse 2 says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies, and they that seek him with a whole heart. Verse 10 of Psalm 119, With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. So we're talking about effort. With all your heart means something. And 2 Chronicles chapter 31, 20 and 21 says, Thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that began in the service of the house of God and the law and the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. Success has to do with how much effort you're willing to put forth. Wholehearted effort is about action. In Deuteronomy 11 and verse 13, it came to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Joel chapter 2 and verse 12, Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. The reason phrases like that appear in the Bible is because you've got to put heart into it and not just half-heartedly. Think about that. If, if you hired a contractor to do something and he came into your home and he said, you know, it's going to cost $15,000 for us to do this and here's our pledge to you. We will half-heartedly do everything you've asked us to do. I mean, unless you're just an idiot, and hey, maybe you are. A lot of idiots in the world. And if you are, get a hold of me. I'll try to help you. Most reasonable people aren't going to say, yes, sir, here's a check for 15K. Get to it half-heartedly as quickly as you can. Come on, man. So how do you think, looking at God, and saying, here you go, Lord. I love you with half my heart, half my mind, half my soul. And whatever you ask me to do, Lord, I promise to do it half-heartedly or quarter-heartedly. Or you know what? Sometimes I just won't even really try. Now, maybe that doesn't come out of your mouth. But what do your actions say? When you think about another word in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, great passage. We're going to hone in on the word abounding. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. I want to tell you 
how this Greek word is translated in some other passages in the New Testament. And if you want to verify what I'm telling you, it is Strong's number 4052, and you can certainly do that. I suggest you check what I'm telling you anyway, right? Not that I would ever try to steer somebody wrong, but you shouldn't blindly trust that, and I wouldn't expect you to do so. The Bible tells you to prove all things. Hold fast to that, which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. So if you do this word study with me, you're going to see that it's translated exceed. So I, I, I want to read this to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always exceed in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain, Lord. Here's, here's where it's translated that. Matthew 5, 20. I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees shall no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Or 2 Corinthians 3, 9. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. So to exceed. Abounding is to exceed, right? To go beyond, right? It's translated abundance in Matthew 13 and verse 12. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. So think about abounding as abundance, right? I, I, I'm going to always have abundance in the work of the Lord. I'm going to do more and more and more. It's translated in John 6, 13, remained over and above. Context where Jesus fed the 5,000 miraculously. Therefore, they gathered them all together, or they gathered them together rather, filled 12 baskets with fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So always abounding, meaning over and above in the work of the Lord. Not, and here, here it is. Everywhere I've ever preached the gospel, there are those Christians who, who will do as little as required. And you hope that they grow and that that changes and you hope that their excuses are not really just them not wanting to do it. And I call it excuses because I don't know what else it is. But there are those that do not follow 1 Corinthians 15 for 58 from what I can see and that they're just minimalist. They want to know what do I have to do to go to heaven rather than focus on abounding, rather than going in excess or abundance. It's just, hey, tell me the minimum. You know, it's like those people that want the numbered steps to salvation. And if you get beyond a certain number, five or six or seven, it's like, that's too much for them. Oh, wait, wait. I got to do more than show up on the first day of the week. Oh, no, no. I'm, I, that, that's too much for me. Look, if that's your mentality, the righteous, here, here, here I want you to think about this. And I, I'm going to come back to this word study. But the righteous, 1 Peter 4, 18, scarcely be saved. That word means with difficulty, hardly, not easily, very rarely, according to Thayer, Strong's number 3433. Strong says with difficulty, hardly, scarcely, with much work. The righteous scarcely be saved, hardly be saved, barely be saved is the idea, right? And you have those people, and maybe you're one of them, that sit back and say, well, if I don't have to do that, I'm not going to do it. Where do you think that puts you? Just saying. Look at the word study we're doing here. 
Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Translated in 1 Thessalonians 4.10 as increase. It says, And indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. To increase. Not looking for a minimum effort. You know, in Philippians 1, or not Philippians, Philemon. I don't know why I said Philippians. Away from our word study here. This, this isn't sticking to the word study, but just, just a point in relation to abounding, to increase, to go over, to have abundance. Paul's writing Philemon to have Onesimus, his slave, return him. If you're following the podcast on 1 Peter, you're familiar with this. He says, yeah, rather, brother, let me have joy in, of thee and the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord, having confidence in thy obedience. I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Are you that person? Or if Paul writes you, is he having to write all kinds of things knowing that you're not going to put any any effort beyond exactly what he requires? I want you to think about service. You go to a restaurant. I don't do this. I don't go to restaurants very frequently, but I certainly have. And I would imagine most people listening to this podcast have at some point in time gone to a restaurant. So you have a waiter or a waitress. And the waiter or waitress comes, takes your order, and it's a place that accepts tips. And you know that waiters and waitresses depend on tips more than they do their hourly wage in most places. So you're examining how much am I going to tip? And you know that there's a, a, a typical amount in your area of your bill that's tipped. Ask yourself honestly this question. That person serving you, make sure that whatever you're drinking is always refilled. They keep checking in on you. They want to make sure the service is as great as possible. You, they come to you, is this cooked the way you would like it? Maybe just for illustration's sake, you say, well, it's okay. And the, ser- the server says, wait a minute, okay is not good enough. What can I do to make this better? And, and you tell them, well, I just thought I was going to get, you know, gravy on this or more. And then moments later, they come back and perfect whatever it is that was lacking in that area. How are you going to tip them? Unless you're just really a jerk, you're going to take care of that person, right? Because they went above and beyond. On the other hand, That servant comes and serves you your food. Whatever it is you're drinking has been empty for 10 minutes. Your food wasn't exactly as you ordered it. You're waiting for them to come back and waiting for them to come back. The next time you see them, they come with a check. Drop it and you say, excuse me, and they just walk off. Well, that person did their minimum requirement to be a servant. They brought you your food and they brought you your bill. What's the tip going to be like? In fact... Might you even want to talk to a manager? Might you have problems? How do you think the Lord looks at us when we're the servant who just brings the order and then drops the check? Here you go, Lord. Here's what you told me to do to be saved. Here you go, Lord. I showed up and worshiped you. Give me heaven. Come on, folks. Come on. Our Lord teaches an extra mile mentality. Matthew 5, 41, Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Not a minimalist, 
mentality, an extra mile mentality, and a mindset where there's not quit. You know, we get discouraged, right? We live in a world that's full of discouragement. If you don't ever get discouraged, kudos to you. You're an exceptional person. One of the reasons I need faithful brethren around me is there are times I need comfort and edification. Doing the work of an evangelist is very often discouraging. And it's and, and that's not just my my mentality. When, when you look at the Apostle Paul, he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, um, and I will gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. You look at other statements he made, like in Galatians chapter 4, I feel this way right now about somebody I'm studying with for years, where, you know, he said to the Galatians, you observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I bestowed, lest I bestowed upon you labor in vain. And then later in that context, he desired to be present with them in verse 20 because uh, he stood in doubt of them. I get that. I, I know, not just from one experience, way many more than I'd like to, to, to even have to think about, what that feels like to labor to help somebody go to heaven and watch them blowing it, and there's not much you can do about it. It's discouraging. I go through that. I mean, I've been preaching the gospel uh, full-time since 1999, and I've been through it way more times than I can count or even care to try to recall, and recently on multiple occasions. Folks, it can be discouraging. I need brethren to remind me, hey, you know what? Not everybody on earth is an idiot. But the fact is, even if those brethren aren't there, I, as well as you, have to have no quit in us. What if you were all alone? And you're not. You know, Elijah got that mentality where he thought that he was all alone. Go back and and read the uh, context of, uh, what is it, 1 Kings chapter 18, Um you could see Elijah thought <laughs> they've killed the prophets. Uh, I'm the only one alive. And the Lord had to tell him, hey, there's still 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. It's mentioned in Romans 11, 1 through 5, as well as a reference point to how there are still a remnant according to the election of grace. There's always a remnant. So, you know, if you're a student of the Bible, you're not really alone on earth. But sometimes the walk can be lonely. You can't have a quit in you. If everybody around you fails, you can't have quit in you, right? Proverbs 24.10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In Titus chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 14, it says, This is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable unto men. And let ours also, this is verse 14, learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that be not unfruitful. God doesn't want you hitting the pause button. Again, he wants you to abound more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that is, you've received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Abounding more and more, not, hey, Lord, 
let me into heaven as I sit here in my spiritual recliner watching everybody around me do the work in the vineyard. No, 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 no. You know what the reward is for nothing? It's nothing. Come on, man. As we think about the things that we're talking about in this podcast regarding effort and how it, it, it can lead to accomplishment, it can be hindered, but lead to accomplishment. I want you to apply this to salvation. Do you know that you must strive, meaning fight, labor fervently to be saved? Do you, do you know that? Luke 13, 23 and 24 then said one in him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter and shall not be able. You got to fight for it. And then you could see here the same point that I made out of 1 Peter 4.18. There's going to be even those that fight for it that don't make it. Now, here's a question. If you're not fighting for it at all, if you just said, hey, you know what? <laughs> I want somebody to do all the work for me. I don't want to put forth any effort. If those striving don't get to enter in, what do you think about the lazy boy Christian? Not that there is such a thing. When we look at the text in 2 Peter chapter 1, you see giving all diligence. In verse 5 through 10, it says, beside this, giving all diligence. I, I want you to, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll read you the verses following this, but I, I want you to just take a moment to think about giving all diligence. That is eagerness, earnestness, right? Haste. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, the brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, there it is again, another word we've talked about multiple times, they make you that you shall not neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. To be diligence, give diligence, that keeps you from apostasy. To make that effort, to be earnest in that effort to make your calling and election sure. Does that sound like the person that says, hey, Lord, tell me the minimum? Absolutely not. You know what you do is a testimony of your faith? James 2.18, yea, man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. Is your faith visible? I want to come back and do a podcast on that in the future, just to, just to follow up that thought a little bit more in depth. But is your faith visible? Do you have a competitive mindset? Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, has self-control is the point. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty. So fight I, not as one that beat the air. But I keep my body and bring it to subjection, lest by any means I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. 
since sporting is there in that application that Paul is making, I want you to think about, I'll use football. Since we were in the NFL playoffs and, and you know, maybe you're a football fan, maybe you're not, but you can follow anyway. I, I think any reasonable person is going to get this illustration. Let's say you have a football team and, you know, there's starters on offense, starters on defense, et cetera, et cetera, a roster of 53, game day roster of about 46 or whatever it is. Let's say you've got five players that every day at practice, five minutes in, they ask the coach, how long are we going to be here today? Coach says, we're going to practice till we're ready for the game. We're going into the playoffs. These five players look at the coach and say, come on, man, I don't need to practice. Oh, starting to sound like Allen Iverson, if you're familiar, familiar with that reference. Those players have been unremarkable all season long. After practice, the best players are in the weight room. After practice. And then after the weight room, they're in the film room. Coach hasn't even required it of them, but they're in there. Who do you think the most effective players are? The five guys that want to go home as quick as possible? Maybe they want to play Madden video game about football. I don't know. But they want to get out of there. They don't want to put forth any effort to perfect their craft. They don't want to put forth any effort to be better at what they do. They're not what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, are they? Those players, 99.9% .9 of the time, aren't going to be good. They're not going to be successful. They're going to hold back the team. On the other hand, you hear about this player who's always the last to leave the building. No matter what he does on the field, you know what you appreciate? His effort. His effort. If he fails, he has fought. And listen, like we read in Luke 13, 23 and 24, there are those that are going to fight and not succeed. They're not going to be saved. At least you can respect the effort. What about those who say, I can't wait to get out of here? Come on, folks, come on. Is the eye on the prize? No. You know, when we think about the language in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul did not have a mindset of, I've already accomplished the goal. He says, not as though I had already attained, talking about the resurrection. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend for that which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God and Christ Jesus. Keep fighting to finish. Don't sit down and take it easy. I have a team that I'm rooting for in the NFL playoffs. You know what I'm afraid of? They kind of have a franchise history of taking it easy after they reach a certain point. Like, We've arrived. We have a star on our helmet. We're already the star. And they don't, they're not as hungry sometimes as they ought to be. And for that reason, their success is almost unpredictable, even though their talent margins are exceptional. The effort isn't always there. And when they lose, 
They typically lose for what on the field looks pretty good as a lack of effort. If I want something, I've got to put in the work for it. In 1 Corinthians 3.8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and everyone shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Back to the waiter or waitress. You tip them according to their own labor. Our Lord, as the judge that knows what's going on inside you, fairly, justly is going to judge you and reward you based upon what you have done. So be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says study, and that means be diligent. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be a workman. Be diligent. Have some fight in you. Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Have the fight in you, so that even if you fall down, you get back up and back up and back up and back up again. I'm not going to quit. Figuratively speaking, hey, Satan, you can cut off my legs, you can cut off my arms, and you can strap me down, and I'm going to squirm and fight until there is no breath left in me. I am not quitting. Heaven is worth it. How much effort do you have? Are you working heartily unto the Lord? Folks, time's a-wasting. If you look at the calendar, it's 2024. Wow. Years go fast, especially as you begin to age and recognize it even more and more. So Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. How much effort are you putting forth? Are you working heartily for the Lord? And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, is it wholeheartedly? Listen, you're fighting the fight, be encouraged to keep fighting. If you're not, be kicked in the hind parts a little bit to get up, get off the bench, get in there with the rest of the team, join the fight. Stop sitting back and waiting because that sitting back and waiting doesn't lead to eternal life. I hope this podcast has been effective in one way or another for you. I hope you thought about the wording of our Lord and the idea of let me succeed as I put forth hardly effort excessively to please my God. As always, I'm here if you need to talk. I thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, we'll be back with 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 on Sunday. Thank you so much. Until then, I say goodbye.